0: Guys, I'm always so overwhelmed by the kindness of God, that He has done what He has done in Jesus to reconcile the world to Himself. And I get the privilege um, on Resurrection Sunday to teach out of Acts chapter 19. We're going to be talking a little bit about a moment on Mount Sinai and when I got the text, because we we love teaching through the Bible, the reason why we're going through the whole book of Exodus is because there are bits that you cannot miss and so you'll have to walk through it irrespective of how culturally different it is to the echo chambers of the world. It is so important that you give yourself to Scripture, to read Scripture, to wrestle with the text, because this is the final authority that we have in how we are now to live this life on earth. Let the people of God say, Amen. And we, uh, Katya does an amazing job. Uh, planning our sermon series, and so we got to Acts chapter 19, and she—I know she planned for it to be around uh, Exodus, sorry, Exodus chapter 19, um, any moment in an Acts moment, so you can just take it. Um, and she planned for this to be on on Resurrection Sunday, and um, it fell on me to do the preaching, and I have not read Exodus chapter 19 for a while, and I was like, how am I going to teach about Mount Sinai? and the resurrection on one Sunday. But I've got good news. There's a whole lot of juice in this text. And so get ready. Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. You guys see that third day? There's a whole lot of glory on this, trust me. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Where the beast or man he shall not live. when the trumpet sounds, a long blast they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments and he said to the people, "Be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman." And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, this is an incredible moment. We've been journeying in this journey of freedom as a church and through the book of Exodus. we come to this moment where God is about to establish his covenant with his people, Israel, with his people that he has chosen, with his people a little bit earlier that says he carried them on eagles' wings. I love God because one of the things you'll notice about God from the earliest revelation of who God is is that He's actually slow to anger and wrecking love. A little bit earlier in Exodus, we see this moment where Moses says to God, I, I want to see your goodness. And throughout the Old Testament, sometimes God gets a bit of a bad rap, like uh, He's about to smite you just because He's a bit grumpy. But the thing is about God is that God is holy. He is utterly, beautifully, wonderfully, and happily holy. And sometimes when we think of holiness, we think of holiness in terms of um, a really grumpy headmaster waiting to smite us when we step out of line, or better still, a really old-school woman with a bun in her hair, wearing a long dress, making sure that everyone follows the rules. But holiness simply means one who is set apart. And the thing about God is he is entirely set apart. He is set apart from the affairs of this world. He is set apart from the timeline of history. He is set apart from every aspect that we see on earth as one who not only rules over it, but has preeminence over it. But there's something beautiful about the revelation of God that we see in Scripture, and particularly right from the beginning in Eden, right up until now in Exodus, that God wants to be with His people. That God's greatest desire is to hang out with His people. To hang out with my kids who are making a lot of noise. God wants to hang out with His people. God, Hey, boy. Deliver me from evil, Lord. Um, God wants to hang out with these people. God wants to connect with these people. God wants to tabernacle with these people. This is God's, being God's highest aim, but the thing about him is that because he's so utterly set apart, because he's so utterly holy, and I want to say that he is happily holy, because true holiness is happiness in God. Dr. Michael Eaton, the great theologian, really drove this home for me when he said, if you want to get holy, get happy in God. Some of you are like, really? Yeah, I'm going to get there in a moment. But when you begin to understand that God is not wanting to be at a distance, he's always wanted to be close, but because of our sinful choices, because we've chosen to put ourselves in the way of his um. Uh, because we've chosen to put ourselves in the way of our own decision-making rather than relying on who He is, we've missed out on a great display of His goodness. And Israel was living in this place of not being able to access the very presence of God as much as God desired to be amongst His people. And so God is about to establish his covenant on Mount Sinai. This is the Mount of Visitation. This is the mountain that Moses had his first encounter with God on. This is the mountain now called, by the writer Moses, the Mountain of God. And we see this moment. The way God sets out the boundaries, he sets out the rules in order for us to understand how to engage with him because he does not want to kill anybody, not because he is actively killing anyone, but because of his set apartness that when sin encounters that, the result is death. And so he says, I just want you to understand this is not the active of punishment of God. This is the result of our own choices coming into contact with his happy holiness. And then we see God saying, "Right, i right, I'm gonna establish a covenant with my people. I'm gonna give them rules and regulations, and he says this is gonna be happening on the third day, and I'm putting all these rules around, like you need to make sure that you've washed your clothes, that you have cleansed yourself, that you have set yourself apart in order to come even close to the foot of the mountain, and then only one person is able to climb that mountain, Moses, because I have a relationship with him. I find it striking that God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend would, even under these conditions. That's how eager God wants to connect with you. That's how eager God is to meet with you in amazing beauty. And of course, we see that they have to clean themselves. They have to uh, consecrate themselves. They have to get ready to come in on the third day. And we see that as that happens, there is darkness and a cloud that envelops the mountain. There is a trembling, there is a shaking, and there is a voice from heaven as God begins to speak even in the midst of the darkness. Uh, One of the things that we don't often appreciate about the story of crucifixion, about the historical fact of three days between his crucifixion and his resurrection is... The dark Saturday, when God's not present, when, as it were, God is dead in a tomb, and it feels like there is no hope, but I am so glad, as the one preacher said, that it looks like nothing's happening, but Sunday is coming. And we see resurrection life and we see this moment of this cloud enveloping this uh, mountain and we see this incredible fear and trembling. And one of the things you'll notice about Mount Sinai is this incredible thought that on Sinai, what happens is that the voice of God is heard in the midst of it and what it produces is fear and trembling lest people come close and die that the voice of God sounds like condemnation. It sounds like death almost in one sense. People are so afraid in this moment. You'll notice that at Mount Sinai, that what is needed is an external obedience in order to come closer to him. But even that external obedience is not enough. I I don't know if you realize this, but all of your hard working for the grace of God produces no fruit. And at Sinai, they have to clean everything outside. They have to be externally concentrated. But the problem is, internally, they still had a sin issue. Internally, they had not got clean. At Sinai you'll, Sinai, you'll notice that God comes down in this beautiful way of smoke and fire. But the problem is, Moses has to do the hard work of walking up a mountain in order to meet with God. At Sinai, you'll notice that death is the result of disobedience. It's quite a fascinating thing in that at Sinai, God teaches, or let me rephrase that, God invites the people into obedience, but an obedience that does not need relationship. It's It's quite an outrageous thing. God desires relationship. He wants to connect with them. But he gives them the law that simply requires obedience without relationship. And I know so many Christians who live obeying the rules, but they're not connected in relationship with God because the Bible says that the law is ineffective in making you right to stand before God. I just want to help you quickly for a moment. That, that's outrageous. The law is perfect. You understand that God gives Moses the Ten Commandments In its perfected revelation, endless moment, and that the Bible says that if the people obeyed those rules, God would bless them. Sinai required obedience, and if you didn't obey, you die. That was the result. When I look at Sinai, it does not fill me with great hope. It does not fool me with great joy. I know that often people look at the old covenant and go, oh my gosh, imagine if we lived in that kind of glory. Imagine if we lived in that kind of encounter. But the truth is, dear brothers and sisters, that that is an inferior covenant. It does nothing to change you from the inside out. It does nothing to get you close to God. It does nothing to help you Overcome sin. And Sinai is this place of trembling and fear. And God says to the people of Israel, On the third day you will see me. And all it produces is a sense of fear, an anticipation of death, a desire to step back rather than to step close. But I've got good news for you, that there's another third day that redeems Sinai. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15 that Christ rose from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. And one of the things you would do well to understand theologically is that when Paul writes that. He's writing this through an expectation that the Old Testament has to be interpreted through the New Testament. In other words, the way we read Scripture in the Old Covenant is not through the lens of the Old Covenant looking to the cross, but from the cross looking to a moment in history. And what's happening in this moment, because actually if you study The Scriptures, you don't see anything explicit in the Old Covenant saying that Jesus would rise on the third day, but you see these prophetic foreshadows. You see these prophetic moments that speak into a reality that's about to come even a few hundred years later, and I've got good news for you. Today, we celebrate another third day, one that does not cause fear, one that does does not cause separation, one that does not bring death, but brings resurrection. Sheikah, bazooka. Because forever in the people of Israel's mind, this third day would have been cemented as a moment of great trembling. As a holy God who wants to stay apart, not come close. As a holy God who repays with death any attempt at moving close to him but it's simply a foreshadow. It's simply a Mm -hmm. veiled picture. It's simply a small part of a much bigger picture who finds its fulfillment in the beauty of Jesus. I want you to take your Bibles and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. I wanna show you where we now are. Hebrews chapter 12. This is so beautiful. It's gonna change your life, I promise. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this in verse number 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches this mountain, It shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was um, the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion. Oh, it's a whole new mountain. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. There is one almighty party that is happening right now. There is one almighty feast that is going on for all of eternity. This is the mountain that you have come to. And not only that, oh, You have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I've got good news for you. That what was only a foreshadow in Exodus is now fulfilled and redeemed in Christ Jesus. That the crucifixion story changes everything for us. That it entirely reshapes history. That it entirely redefines who we are. That it entirely brings the full revelation of God. Yes, He is holy. Yes, he is set apart, but he got into some skin and came close. <sighs> I mean, if that doesn't get you happy, I'm not quite sure what's going to get you happy today. <laughs> listen, the beautiful thing is like at the cross. You, you'll see, listen, the crucifixion. You'll see that there is darkness that is enveloping. There, there is a A trembling and a shaking of the earth. In fact, it trembled so hard that dead people that have been dead for hundreds of years popped out of their graves and started walking around in Jerusalem. Can I make this quick point? The Bible says that God is not slow to fulfill His promises as some people expect slowness. And I just want to throw this as a thought out here. The Bible says, I think it's in John's Gospel, that as the flesh of Jesus was torn open, as he declared, it is finished, darkness fell over the earth, and there was an earthquake, and there was graves that were opened, and the saints of old, the Bible says, were seen walking in Jerusalem. I want to suggest to you That this supernatural occurrence of incredible revelation was an act of the kindness and the grace of God because there were many saints of old who died in expectation of the promises of God to be fulfilled that they would put their feet in the promised land. And right at the cross, some of us think God's promises are slow. Listen, this is a few hundred years later. These saints of old are putting their feet on the promise. In fact, this is exactly what happened for Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says he died outside of the promised land, but God is faithful to his promise. Moses, you will put your feet in the promised land and on a mountain in Jerusalem. Hundreds of years later, he's standing talking to Jesus with his feet on the promise no matter how difficult it looks no matter how dark it looks no matter how impossible it looks God will be faithful to his promises please say amen because I am spitting with the glory right now at Sinai you you're the voice that brings Death, as it were, because of our inability to come close. But at Golgotha, on a little mountain, in the crucifixion moment, what you hear is not death, but you hear, Father, forgive them. The voice of God in Jesus, because he is God on that cross. It's not like God was somewhere separate out in the cosmos smiting him. No, no, the Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus. God was taking the full weight, the full requirement, the full debt on himself. The thing about the cross and the ugliness of the cross is that it's so messy, it's so ugly, not because God is simply angry at the world, but because the full weight of our sin looks messy, it looks ugly, it looks violent, it looks bloody. And there he is, God, and instead of saying, if you come too close, you're going to die, he says, forgive them. He says, it's finished. The full weight of your wrongdoing, the full weight of your inability to fulfill any of God's laws, Rather than saying, if you come close and touch this mountain, you'll die. He goes, I forgive you. I forgive you. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. I no longer count your sin against you. When God is doing the math about your wrongdoing, past, present, and future, He gets to a zero balance because it's all been paid on a hill called Golgotha. It's all been paid, as it were, at Mount Zion for you and for me. The covenant that God now speaks over you is not guilty. Are you heavy burdened by sin? Not guilty. Are you carrying shame? Not guilty. Are you living in wrongdoing? Not guilty. It's outrageous. This is jolly scandalous, people. (laughs) The reason it's good news and not yesterday's news is because it is eternally shouting, not guilty. I've got good news. You're not guilty. at sinai we see that obedience releases blessing if you want the blessing of god you have to obey and that obedience isn't even connected to relationship but at the cross at mount zion as it were we see that obedience is not the goal relationship is the goal and that as you obey what you get rewarded with is not it's not a whole lot of things it's out of the overflow of relationship. You get the, the relationship is the blessing. You're not just in right standing with God. It's not that you're just like great, against desperate. No, no. He invites you in Christ into this relational dynamic that's incredibly beautiful. The Reformers of old, Martin Luther, John Calvin, preached so well on our righteousness in God, on the legal issues being sorted out that we now no longer owe God anything. But what they failed to do was to speak of the beauty and the wonder in that now in Christ you have been adopted into a relationship that's not based on my law keeping. It's not based on my obedience. It's based on the fact that this relationship comes from grace and grace alone. (sighs) You might be sitting or you might be watching and you're going to understand what it's like to walk guilt-free. You're going to know what it's like to walk away from any kind of sin and any kind of lifestyle that has caught you up in bondage. You're going to know what it's like to live free of shame. You're going to know what it's like to be secure in your Father's delight. I've got good news at Mount Zion. This mountain that is not observed by touch or feel. It's revealed by the kindness of God. That we now come in. And rather than having to obey to get the blessing, the relationship is the blessing that releases obedience. I obey because I love him. <laughs> I obey because he's amazing. Listen, you, you can never pay God back So quit trying. Many of us have a relationship with God based on a, a, a quick pro. You've given me something, now I need to give you something back. Listen, you will never be able to pay God back for anything, not one little bit. Quick trying, because the whole point of Mount Zion, the whole point of the crucifixion is that you now come in and you get relationship, not based on your obedience, but based on Christ's obedience for you. Man, that's good news. I I never tire of this. The Bible says actually in Exodus chapter 19 that the goal of the covenant that God wanted to invite Israel into was so that there would be a kingdom of priests. But what you got at the end of the covenant was one high priest and that's it. Not a kingdom of priests. Not a a whole community of priests. You got one man who once a year could make it right for you. But now, we get a community of priests who minister to God in relationship because we walk on the sprinkled blood of Jesus. Sinai is entirely ineffective. The law and all of its requirements is entirely ineffective to give you right relationship with God. I'm so glad that he's invited me in. What's beautiful is that at Sinai, Moses has to walk up a mountain in order to encounter God. But what happens at Zion, what happens in that moment of the crucifixion is that God gets right into the mess of our world and comes close so that you get face-to-face revelation with him. Friends, the, the beauty of salvation is that it's not a head knowledge revelation. It's why the writer to the Hebrews says, we've come to something that cannot be touched. Sinai could be touched. It could be seen. You go to the Middle East, you'll see Sinai. But Zion comes by way of relational Revelation. And brothers and sisters, here's the beautiful thing. It's that God in Jesus comes down to have face-to-face relationship with you. And what's beautiful is that God in the Holy Spirit is still coming down yeah. to draw you into an ever-increasing, unfolding revelation of all that he is we've not come to something that can be touched but yes the hope is that one day according to revelation there will be a physical city a heavenly jerusalem one that we will be able to touch and feel and it will come and take residence up on the earth and make all things brand new okay i'm just gonna oh lord help me help me not be Pentecostal for a moment, yeah. I I just want to help you. The very thing that you're facing right now, the very pain that you're struggling with right now, the very dynamic that you feel has no solution, there is a moment coming because of the resurrection where the very physical reality of that pain will be met in its entirety and completely healed because he will come again. We won't be going up. Some of you are trying to escape the earth. I want to tell you, the Bible says that heaven's coming down. He comes. At Sinai, we've got to walk up. At Zion, he comes down. At Pentecost, he comes down. And in the end, (laughs) we'll see Mount Zion in its physical form and reality, and all things will be made brand new. Brothers and sisters, today as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the third day, the inferior inferior dynamic of an old covenant, perfect as it is, no longer is the superior experience of our reality. Now we enter into the reality of the new covenant, which is far more spectacular spectacular. It speaks a much better word than Abel's blood ever did. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. a cried out to right the scales, make things right, punishment, vengeance. But Jesus' blood cries out grace, grace, grace. The last thing I want to say about Mount Zion, which I think is incredibly beautiful, He said, at Sinai, if you touched that mountain, if you came close, you died. But at Mount Zion, at the crucifixion, at the resurrection, in the garden tomb, what you get rather than death is resurrected life. I wish I had time to unpack even this some more, but here's the beautiful thing, dear brothers and sisters, is that the hope of the Christian faith is not a disembodied heaven floating in the sky somewhere. It is the very resurrected life of Jesus flowing through us so that as he is, so we are in this world. That's what 1 John tells us. It literally means that Jesus, who was resurrected on the third day, who had a physical body, so much so that Thomas could put his hands in his hands and see the holes where they were, that that physical glorified Jesus ascended into heaven and is now in a reality that we have access to. Help me, Jesus. So that he wants to answer his own prayer. Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There is a man with a physical body in heaven, a resurrected man who once was clinically dead. Dead as in dead. As in dead, dead, dead. Even I as an African know what Geg looks like. Geg has now come alive and has lived and is alive for over 2,000 years. And the hope of the Christian faith is not that someday we'll escape this bad earth. The hope of the Christian faith is audacious. It is utterly illogical. It is undeniably transformational that one day this physical body will take on immortality and in a physical glorified body, we too will live forever and ever and ever and ever. (laughs) And the security of that hope it's not in wishful thinking. Yes. The security of that hope is a historical Jesus who walked the face of this earth. A historical Jesus who died on a cross recorded both in scripture and in external manuscripts. And a historical Jesus who on the third day redeemed Sinai for us so that we now get to walk in Everlasting life. A historical Jesus that over 500 people saw walking in Jerusalem. A historical Jesus that 12 disciples who encountered this resurrected Lord went from being absolutely fearful, timid, to being beyond changing in their conviction and belief that Christ is risen. They were willing to die for it. I mean, I am happy for other people to die for something, but I need to be convinced. I need to touch and feel. In fact, one of the writers, John, he writes, he says, we touched him, we felt him, we saw him, we engaged with this physical resurrected Lord Jesus. And since then, right now, On this day, over two billion people have celebrated a historical fact that keeps on changing people's lives, transforming homes, healing marriages, releasing physical healing on the earth, changing whole communities, shifting the very dynamics of nations because he is Lord over all. And what's beautiful is unlike Sinai, there is no death to be found at Mount Zion, only resurrected life. And we are getting drip fed that very resurrection life every time we say, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Dear brothers and sisters, this hope that we have is not fleeting, it is eternal. And I want to invite you today to come to Jesus. Who is the mediator of a new covenant? Some of you are working real hard at trying to be good. I want to tell you Zion says, "I give you grace that empowers who you already are. Some of you are trying to figure out what it looks like to come into relationship with God. I want to tell you that I'm on Zion, just like Jesus stood. At his tomb, he said, go tell your brothers, my brothers, that my father, I'm going to see my father who is now your father. That the relationship is the reward, not based on your obedience. I don't know about you, but it gets me every time. What's beautiful The Bible says in Romans that the same spirit that caused life to come to that dark, cold tomb, caused the stone to be rolled away, is now at work in you and me so that the future reality of Mount Zion the future reality of a city that is coming, the future reality of heaven breaking out on the earth is now already at work in us and through us so that every piece of ground that our foot shall walk upon becomes an opportunity to redeem it and make it a space for Zion to land. Dear friends, this hope, is not fleeting. It's secure. And I want to invite you, I want to invite us as a community that we need to believe God again for the impossibility. Listen, it is ludicrous. The Apostle Paul says if there is no resurrection, we're all out of our minds. We might as well give up, check ourselves into the psych ward. But oh, not only does history back up the reality of the resurrection, but my changed life. Because there's nothing in me and of me that would want to overcome sin, yes. except for the fact that his blood flows through my veins. You have not come to something that can be touched, but you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to a better covenant. Mount Sinai was ineffective in changing the people of Israel because after this they continue to run after the affections of their heart that draw them away from God rather than to God. But when Christ came, everything changed. And the power of the resurrection is at work in you and me right now. The simplicity is to believe Mm -hmm. the simplicity is to say yes lord what you said is true i want to invite you to community i said to katya on the way coming here it's like we need to break some things around healing we need to break some things around breakthrough in terms of provision and favor because the resurrection means that this is now our portion. Yes. And our expectation is the inbreaking of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to tell you once more, Moses and the law that he brought will not lift a finger to help you overcome sin or transform your life, but grace that is revealed in Jesus who is God and in the resurrection and ascension Changes everything for us. And so I want to invite you. We're going to pray right now, just in a moment. Hitchin, why not you come and play? Um, I want to pray for the sick. We're going to pray. Listen, if you are oppressed by the devil, there's nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're sick in your body, there is nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you the blood of Jesus is warm in heaven. The Bible says that his blood is sprinkled on the floor so that we can come boldly to him. When John has his revelation of Jesus, he sees a lion and a lamb that is slain. I want to tell you that resurrection blood is still available for you no matter where you're at, whether it be provision, whether it be a fresh encounter, whether it be cycles of sin that you just can't break free from. There's some of you who are living with long-term shame and guilt. There's blood that makes you whole. and The resurrection power of Jesus is here because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. When you stand to your feet. You might say, well, what does this mean for me? It means everything. This is why we're a community. This is why we come together. The two things I want to do today, I want to pray for Resurrection power to break out in this room for many of you to encounter God. But the second thing I want to pray for is an unrelenting passion to share the present reality of the good news, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That you would find yourself in a place of being unable to be quiet about this because it really is scandalous. That the only reason you get in is to simply say, I believe. And you get in. That the thief on the cross didn't have any time to change his behaviour. He didn't have any time to go for a sozo and get healed up. (laughs) He didn't have any time to See his therapist. Yet Jesus said, because you believe, the first trophy of grace in the new covenant is a thief who hung on a cross. Man alive. May we never become familiar or bored with that reality. God forgive us if we have. If you're here and um, you've never encountered this resurrected Lord Jesus, you've never met the one that I love and that two billion others are celebrating today. If you don't know what it's like to have your guilty conscience cleansed and your consistent inability to do the right thing transformed from the inside out, Today I've got good news, the resurrected Lord is here by His Holy Spirit and if you have never encountered Jesus in a real and living way, today's a good day to say, Jesus I want to respond to all that you've done on the cross and invite Him to meet with you. So Till every eye closed and just no one looking around just for a moment. If you say, Julian, hey, I want to respond to Jesus. I want to I submit to His Lordship. The, the reason that Jesus is Lord over everything is because He's overcome the ultimate enemy, which is death. He is Lord and King over all. And if you want to say, hey, I want to come in to this family, I want to respond to the resurrected Lord and make Him my Lord. With every eye closed and no one looking around, I simply want you to put up your hand. I'm not going to call you up to the front. I just want to see who people are saying, actually, I want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to encounter Him for the first time. Just quickly raise your hand. No one looking around. Very quickly, if that's you. Just simply uh, slip up of your hand and then slip down. Very quickly, come Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to worship Him because we need to respond. If you need healing in your body, if you need the future age of the kingdom to break out, if you need a little bit of Mount Zion, as it were, to come and encounter you in the person of Jesus, we're going to have some people up front who will be willing to pray with you. But what I want to do right now is I want to pray for people to get a red hot passion to speak of this good news. Because this is not a past event. This is an eternal reality. Christ is resurrected. He is risen. And people need to hear this. And so if you need a passion rekindled for evangelism, to begin to declare the good news to your colleagues, to your friends, to family members, to people close by, just put your hand on your heart very quickly because good news deserves to be broadcasted. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for the fiery, burning passion of good news speakers to be released in this community. That we would be a people who would not shy or be quiet or step back of telling people that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. I pray that we will get a fresh revelation of your grace again, God. That because of your kindness, we go free. Holy Spirit, would you meet with us? God, I pray that we will begin to see many people get saved and added in this community. That this Resurrection Sunday, we would not climb the hill of Sinai but that we will come to Zion and experience the wonder and the beauty of grace afresh. Holy Spirit, I want us just to worship just for a moment and I just want you to look at Jesus and maybe you need healing, maybe you need some kind of breakthrough. Those of you on the prayer team, why don't you come and stand up at the front please. And I want to invite you, if you just need God to meet with you, just come on up to the front. Uh, In a moment, we'll we'll end. But I want us to worship. As we worship, feel free to come up to the front. But I don't know about you, but the joy of resurrection, the delight of a guilt-free conscience requires me to tell Jesus how much I love Him again. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.